This is the John Nuzzo Leadership Podcast. Hey, welcome to this month's podcast. We are part two with uh, Denny Patton. If you were not uh, a part of last month's podcast, go ahead and stop and go back and listen to it. It'll really, really be helpful. But this is part two of an interview that I'm doing with my friend Denny Patton, who is the founder of Silver Ring Thing, uh, but uh, that's not what this is about. Denny's life and ministry has been remarkably fruitful, as well as just the amazing amount of leaders that have come out of his influence. Uh, and one I do want to remind you of in the event you don't go back, please go back and listen to a podcast that he did recently with Brian Tome, uh, pastors one of the top five uh, churches in the nation in Cincinnati Crossroads. And Brian does a podcast called The Aggressive Life. And it's about an hour and 40 minute podcast. And Denny goes into some things that I'm telling you, whether you're a leader or not, you will be thrilled that you invested the time. There'll be a link available for you to, to get to that. But for those of you who were not with us last month, let me just give you a, just a quick uh, update. Denny is a person that I've known for years. I've served on the board of Silver Ring Thing. He uh, uh, transitioned uh, the ministry uh, to the next generation. Uh, but uh, about seven years ago, Denny, or so, you you were diagnosed with cancer. And, and that diagnosis was ultimately to a place to where they basically are telling you there's nothing more doctors can do. And you've had how many surgeries? Uh, I've had 16 surgeries. Okay. And and by the way, thanks for doing this with us. Uh, and so Denny got a hold of me just a, a little while ago, kind of letting me know, John, I don't feel like I have a lot of time left. And I don't know anyone who does that, by the way. Uh, but he said, look, I want, I want to spend time with the people that I love and that I know. And he realized that medically speaking, his time on this earth is weeks. And so last month's podcast, he, he went into the to that concept of what it means to live your life knowing it's ending. And it's a very rare thing that, number one, someone has the opportunity. Number two, somebody cares enough to do that. And you've lived your whole life as a harvester. And I'm calling this podcast The Legacy of a Harvester, and this is part two. And when we had lunch, oh, I guess about a week ago, Denny, uh, I was taking notes because you were sharing with me what you believe will likely be your final message to God's people about harvesting the kingdom. And uh, it so impacted me. I took notes, and I intend to actually speak about it in a coming weekend soon and reference your life. It was so impactful. Um, the people listening to this right now are so busy with a thousand different things, all the nonsense going on in the world and distracted, just like it's so easy for me to be. Your distractions are gone because you know that none of this nonsense matters. It's just the eternal marker. It's very difficult to get that perspective unless you're in it. And the fact that you're willing to do that at this stage in your life uh, is remarkable to me. And it's just such an honor to be your friend. So would you just just well, just well, kind of give whatever you want to say to, to start it out, but then take people as quickly as you can into this message so that leaders can truly get the perspective of what happens when you realize nothing else matters? You know, when you realize that as far as you know, I mean, God can do anything. Right. He could heal me miraculously today. Yes. Um, and I could be wrong about how I see my days left, but just from my viewpoint, I don't feel like I have very much more time. And when you start to 
come to that conclusion. As a matter of fact, I actually told my oncologist, I'm not actually going to do any more chemotherapy, which means I'm not going to try to stop the tumors from growing in my body if there was a chemotherapy that might do that, which there hasn't been. So I now know that that's going to happen unless God intervenes. So what happens to you, at least it's happened to me, I should say, is you stop seeing the world as the purpose all of a sudden. And you start realizing the next time you may close your eyes, they may open and you're standing in heaven. And all of a sudden, that just hits you differently. Like, I don't really need anything all of a sudden. I don't need a new shirt. I don't need a new car. I'm actually throwing things out because I'm trying to declutter so that my wife doesn't have to do it. You begin to realize what is valued in the world really has very little value. I remember when they brought my father home in a box. He was cremated. He was an atheist, and they put it on the, the, the mantle of our home. And I remember sitting in the living room looking at that and thinking, that's my father. This is the home he, he paid for. He is now a fixture in this home. Is that it? Hmm. And I remember as a, a recent graduate of college seeing that and thinking, it's got to be more than that. So anyway, I began to realize that we have a purpose on this earth, and we need to be about it. So my purpose, I believe, has always been to influence people into Jesus' harvest. And he describes this best, and I you've think. lived your life that way as well. Yeah, I've been called. Passionately. Well, I've been called to live it that way. I don't, I don't know what else I would have done. Um, and I also think it's important that people know that you, both of your parents, were atheists. Right. And you, got, you came to know the Lord out of an impossible environment. Right. And I think that's what drives me, too, is because there's a lot of me's out there. Yeah. Right? That don't get approached by many people about Christ. So anyway, the passage that really stands out to me is found in the book of Matthew, chapter 9. In the last few verses, verses 35 through 38, talks about Jesus going around the towns and the villages and teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news and healing every sickness and disease. And it starts there with Jesus telling people that I am the Messiah you have been looking for. And I want to demonstrate this to you through these miracles that I will be performing. And if you search the scriptures, you'll see this is exactly what we are to be looking for in the Messiah. And so he's doing this when he starts to say this in verse 36. When he saw the crowds, John, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Mm. I began to wonder... What does God's compassion really look like for people who are harassed and helpless? He was talking about the scribes and the Pharisees not doing their job, and instead of encouraging people's faith, they actually discouraged it by telling them that they were dirty and they couldn't keep up with where the Pharisees and scribes were living their lives. But beyond that, I think Jesus saw Satan's work. Yeah. In other words, we think we understand what Satan's doing. Jesus sees it with MRI type of vision. 
you know, with X-ray vision, with CT scan vision. He knows exactly what Satan is doing. He's harassing us, and we feel helpless. And nobody in the religious authority of the day were helping with it. And so Jesus looked at these crowds, and he had pity. He had compassion. The first question I have of my own life is, do I have that kind of compassion? Because I can tell you, if you don't, you will not be a harvester. Yeah. You said when we had lunch, you said you defined compassion is that you are his focus. And uh, and that was really, that. I wrote it down. It was like, wow, that it, it, can, it isn't a feeling, it's a focus. Talk to us a little bit about how, how, how that compassion in your life, that focus for the lost, where do you see that? in the context of this message? Well, it becomes overwhelming, John. You you realize that Jesus had compassion that you should have. His focus was to, in essence, deliver the good news. And in chapter 10, he's going to be sending the disciples out to do such a thing. But right now, he's telling us what he expects us to do, including you and me today. Yeah. And... So the focus is, it's not to focus on your own stuff. It's not to focus on your world, how's things going, and I'm actually helping God a little bit here and there. No, the focus is, if you want to be in the kingdom work, is to have the kind of compassion Jesus had. And he was focusing on the harassment and helplessness, you know, like a sheep. But what does a sheep look like, John, who doesn't have a shepherd? He has no hope. Right. It's, it's, it's all over. Um, so then the next verse, it goes in, he says this, and this is what really grabs me. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. It's not that there's a lack of interest in God. It's not that the people who are being harassed and helpless want nothing to do with God. As a matter of fact, God's Holy Spirit is perfectly ready to reach into any soul that it can be preached into. In other words, the soul is the perfect receiver of the Holy Spirit's message. It's been designed that way. But it has to be communicated in a language that that particular soul can hear. I had a soul. I grew up in an atheistic world with my family. Somebody put the message, the good news, into a language that I understood, and I began to understand I can have a relationship with God. And that's what changed my life. So it's not a lack of harvest. Yeah. The harvest, it's not just there is some harvest out there. It's plentiful. And there aren't even anywhere near enough workers to harvest it. And so I've always been about, well, I'm going to get into that harvest. I, that's where I belong. It wasn't even like I'm, I made up my mind to do it. I just knew I belonged there. You know, Denny, we're in a time with all that's happening in our world politically and with this virus and all this stuff, where God's people have lost the focus of Jesus. And they have, I think, exchanged somewhat a, a, a passion for the kingdom, for a, 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 a spirit of rage and anger and disappointment and fill in the blank. What I find interesting in all of our conversations, you're not really that interested in who is the president and who isn't, and what's going on politically, and all of the nuances that, that do matter in, 
in a lifetime. But you're saying, and what I heard you say was to take your eyes off of the distractions. Jesus saw what was really happening to people and that those that you may see even as your opposition, those who may oppose God, uh, as you would have as growing up in that home, you would have denied his existence. Those are the very people that are harassed and helpless that, that, that he's pointing us to have compassion upon. And I've watched you do that your whole life. And you've done that in a very unorthodox way. And that you, maybe because you weren't raised in church, is that you always, what some might say, man, that was edgy what he did. That was, that was unorthodox. But, un, but you weren't trying to reach people that were already in the fold. And, and so I just want to help people to delve into your soul and to get that understanding about that it isn't a harvest issue, if you will, but it's a labor issue. So drill down into that a bit for those listening as to what does it take to understand the perspective Jesus was really trying to share of the difference between a harvest and and the laborer? Because most Christians are praying for lost people to get saved. And you're saying there's a different prayer you should be praying. The prayer really isn't for the harvest. It's actually a different kind of prayer. So talk a little bit about that. Well, yeah, the harvest is plentiful. That's what Jesus is saying. So make no mistake, it is plentiful because he sees the harvest one at a time. He sees every single piece of the harvest. But he then says, but the workers are few. So you would think, okay, well, we need to start praying for those people. We need to start caring about those people. That's not what he says. His next and last verse in this little passage is, ask the Lord or pray to the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest fields. He asks us to pray for them, to ask him to send out the workers. Now, when you pray for something like that, most likely you're going to be one of the ones sent, (laughs) or you're certainly going to begin to have his heart to be one of those sent out. Or a sender as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not like send them, but don't send me. (laughs) Yeah. You know, um, the harvest is plentiful. and, And I think. What has always driven me, John, is that, you know, these people that aren't in the church aren't going to hear about Jesus unless somebody goes out to them. Yeah. And how do we do that? What's the methodology to do that? And that's what's always driven me. You know, it's it, because the harvest is there. Yes. So then what do we do to do our part in seeing it be reaped or to harvest it because we're trying to get people ultimately to heaven. You know, Denny, one of the things people aren't going to have, maybe those that don't know you well or your story, they're not going to have a context for the ministry of silver ring thing, which today is, it was, and they basically would say it was a focus on abstinence and a purity ring, but that really wasn't it. It was a tool to get people to come to Christ, but it swept the world. I mean, literally you were interviewed everywhere from every major uh, network to 60 minutes to it, it just on and on. And this, and God raised it up out of Yuma, Arizona uh, to, of all places. Right. Yes. And, but the reality of it is, is that I know you took a lot of heat because those events were not uh, something that church people would go to necessarily and go, well, this makes me feel warm and fuzzy. You dealt with it at the level of where the kids were at in the culture, not to make the Christians happy who wanted to pretend. 
And so you actually harvested a generation of, of kids. And I, and I forget the numbers. I'm on, I was on the board of Silver Ring thing with you serving. But we're talking about multiplied thousands of students. And you may remember the number of being over, what would you say came to Christ through Silver Ring thing? I think the number was right around 250,000 teenagers gave their lives to Christ, yeah. And that's in person. Yes, I mean, those are people that came forward that we counted and followed up, yes. It's, it's, so, so they're hearing today, and that's why sometimes people don't know to whom they're listening. You are a harvester at a scale that, and you did it with a group of people that people weren't really doing well with, and you did it in a way that ticked off a lot of people who didn't care about those that were helpless and harassed, and you've lived this. And you've lived your life in a way that I'm going to go after lost people because at the end of the day, whether they're in heaven or hell is the only win for me. And so just speak to, to that heartbeat that's in you that that makes you so compassionate for the lost that you're not necessarily, uh, let's just say, as worried about the opinion of potential harvesters. Yeah, I, I hope this answers your question. I I learned very early on in my ministry life that the statistic that came out to me was 85% of all decisions for Christ occurred before the age of 18. So if I'm a marketing guy, if I'm a businessman, and I'm asking, you know, well, what's my purpose on the planet? I want to help people get to heaven. And I hear 85% of those decisions are made before the age of 18. Then, man, that's where I want to put my time. And so I always felt compelled to work with teenagers because they were more likely to give God a chance in their life. They weren't so beat up by the world or so um, settled into their ways that they didn't want to change. They would change, and they would see Christ, and then they would have their whole life to to make a difference. Yeah. And so I began to watch that happen uh, from a very young age when I was a freshman in college. And I was amazed to see how they would respond to the gospel because, you know, the gospel does it when it's put out there and the soul is prepared, yeah. Jesus will speak to the soul. And then our job is just to try to help it develop so that they make it to the end, you know. Yeah. So I always felt like working with teenagers was the place to put my time. I never felt like I was supposed to be a pastor. Uh, there's Great need for pastors, but you would have ticked a lot of people <laughs> off. <laughs> I just, I just belonged. I just belonged uh, out there with people like I was. Yes, I think you know, finding people that weren't being reached. Yeah, and I, you know, it's funny. I enjoyed thinking about how do you reach a football player? Yeah, how do you reach that kid? He, he's not. He doesn't care about Jesus. Well, what do you do? And I always enjoyed the process, John. I really did. You know, Denny. Um, the outcome of you being a, a harvester. And I think when I think of you, and I think of some, I think a mindset with a lot of Christians, they think of the harvest as something you go in with this little sickle and just casually pull something out, not realizing that what you're harvesting is an eternal life. You were never a, uh, a single sickle guy. You were a mass combine harvester. You saw scale because you saw eternity on the other side for people. But there was an outcome that occurred that I don't know that it was necessarily the intent, but because of who you are, it happened, is that leaders were raised up that are touching the world. And I referenced Brian Tome and and 
And I really would encourage people. Brian is a very unorthodox pastor. Uh, I promise you he takes a ton of people off. But if, when I watch him and I hear him, he even kind of looks like you. And I'm like, that's just almost weird. But he, it's, but you built his foundation as a young man. You helped build and lay that passion for people that others had given up on. And so I just want to take a, a moment and thank you, not just for the harvesting, but for the fact that you've raised up so many leaders even if it wasn't intentional through Silver Ring thing behind you. And at times you've done it very intentionally with people. I understand that. You've mentored so many. But there are so many harvesters out there that, are gonna, that, that really are your legacy. Well, John, I think for me, leadership is the game. Um, I actually call it overwhelming leadership. I think when you want to reach somebody for Christ— you create an overwhelmingly large leadership team. So the kids in the community or wherever it is that you're working have no chance. You're just going to reach them because you overwhelm them with leadership. And why wouldn't you, while you're doing it, just create a replicable uh, uh, ministry that develops leaders? I mean, yeah. it only makes sense that you would do that because we need more harvesters. So I've always felt like it's not just my job to help people get to heaven, but to find other people to help me help them get to heaven and then do it again and then do it again. It just seemed the right way to do it, John. Well, it's been incredibly fruitful. And I, I want you to just take a, a final minute or two and the final words that if you were going to speak to people out of your heart, that knowing that your time here is limited, as ours is, but you know there's a, in a sense, a time frame. What would you want to leave every leader with, every harvester, a final statement that says, please hear my heart, please hear my heart, and what would you say to them? Don't get captured by the world. Accumulating in the world is such a bad way to live your life. Accumulating, accumulating and then tipping God. Don't get fooled that the world will meet your needs. You're not here for that purpose. You're not here just to put stuff in your home and put stuff around you that make you more comfortable. We are asked to join Jesus in the harvest. The workers are few. Jesus wants you to be one of those workers, and not just casually, yeah. with purpose, with intentional uh, purpose to be out there in the harvest. Do not get distracted by the world. It's so easy to do. And uh, that would be my greatest hope, is that that would be something that you would start to turn around in your life, even today, and saying, I'm going to back out of some of this. Yeah, I'm going to step back from some of that. I don't need all this stuff. I don't need to be chasing this. I want to be more about what God wants me to be more about. And I guarantee you, you'll be blessed like I've been blessed. It's been a joy, John, for me yeah. to be a part of God's plan. And it's part of the reason I don't want to leave the world, John, Yeah, because I so much enjoy being a part of God's harvest. Denny, look, it's been 
an honor to call you a friend and a real friend and uh, an honor to stand beside you in your ministry call as well. Uh, and thank you for at a time in your life when most people uh, and understandably would become self-focused that you haven't done that, that you're in your in your days that you have left on the earth and you're actually speaking even this weekend to to pour this out to people so that we can all live our lives well and on the other side we all want to hear the same thing well done good and faithful servant and we want to enter into the joy of our lord which is people and so i want to on behalf of everybody that's listening today thank you and i do want to encourage everybody please go back to week one of this listen to it uh, get to listen to the podcast of Brian Tome. You will not regret it. So, Denny, thank you. Love you so much, my friend. And uh, hey, I look forward to catching up with you guys in our next month's uh, podcast. And, Denny, we love you, man. God bless you. God bless you, John. Thanks again for tuning in to the John Nuzo Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to rate, review, and share this podcast on iTunes. It's a great way to get the word out and to help others grow as leaders. We'll see you back here next time for another episode of the John Nuzzo Leadership Podcast.